boom, just like that, we are back. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the High Button Podcast. I'm your host, Justin Belanger. Today's episode is brought to you by none other than ProLineStadium.com, Atlantic Canada's home field for great sports betting. Play stadium bets for the best odds, featuring spread lines of 1.95 per side. Where are you going to get better odds than that? ProLine players also score access to great regular promotions. Right now, every $25 wager on hockey will earn you a $10 free play token to use on basketball. Free play tokens must be used up by March 31st. Get in the game today at ProLineStadium.com or download the ALC app today. Must be 19 years of age or older. Please play responsibly. And just like that, we are back. I love it. Welcome to the High Button Podcast here on a Friday afternoon. We have a doozy for you. We have basketball royalty in the studio today. Steve Koncholsky, a.k.a. Coach K, a.k.a. Coach. Uh, I can't even begin to, I guess I can begin, but the amount of awards and, and honors Coach uh, K has received, I'd be doing this intro for three hours long. So I'll give you the top layer of the cake and um, – the bare minimum of some of the awards and honors he's received, like I said, in his career. And throughout the podcast, uh, we'll get into the nitty-gritty and, and maybe some stories that most of us don't know. So it'll be a great episode. But like I said, I'll give you a little bit of a rundown here um, of Coach K's career. So he accepted a job at St. FX uh, University as the head coach for the men's basketball team in 1975. He coached St. FX to three national titles, 1993, 2000, and 2001, back-to-back. And in that 2001 year, he received CIS Coach of the Year. Uh, he was actually Coach of the Year in 1983, 1981, 2000, 2001, like I just said, 2003, and 2006. And he coached St. FX to some AUS titles. Let me list the years for you. 1981, 1993, 1997, 2000, 2001, 2002, 2004, 2005, 2006. And in 2009, Coach became the all-time CIS leader in wins with 700 and 36. Also, he grew up in Queens, New York. I just found that out today. I think that's really cool. I'm really excited to talk to him about what it was like growing up in New York. It's going to be a great episode. I'm Justin. We're talking to Coach K. This is the High Button Podcast. Here we go. You know what comes next. Coach K, we're going. Thank you very much for joining the podcast today. I know you're a busy man this time of year, so I do really appreciate your time. Well, no problem. I'm in Halifax. It's a pleasure to be out of Antigonish and, um, you know, get on the road. So, uh, and, and, and the playoffs are always, always exciting, even though I'm not, I'm in the stands this year for the first time in close to 50 years. Um, it's exciting, you know, and, it is, you know, it's my Santa Bex team um, uh, has a shot. I think they have a shot to win this, so it's, it's going to be interesting. Is there a little element of your your being that's a little frustrated sitting in the stands? Your your blood still must be pumping. Yeah, it is, uh, but no, I don't think so. I mean, I'm, I'm I'm I was ready to make the the move, and I'm still involved in basketball in a lot of ways, as I'm sure will come out over the next little uh, conversation here. Uh, but uh, I'm still close to the Saint Vex team. I mean, most of these players. Uh, except for one, actually, I, I, had, I had something to do with recruiting. Most of them I've coached, and including Terrell Vernon, who's the new coach, who, who I coached and who, were, um, you know, I pretty much speak with him, not necessarily daily, but we're, we're you know, we're, uh, yeah, we're, we're, we're very close, and, and I feel like I'm part of this team as well. 
that's a good feeling. He must be asking you for advice on, I don't want to say almost anything, but you, you, if there's a, a, a man to give advice in the role he's in, you're definitely it. So it must be able to answer. It must be nice being able to answer anything at a moment's notice. Well, it is, but you know, at the same time, it's, it's a, um, it took a, took a little bit of strategy on my part. To, you know, the first part of the year, I intentionally kind of stayed away. I, was, I stayed close enough that the players knew that I was there supporting them, but to me, to look over, you know, Terrell's shoulder, um, you know, too much early in the early going, I, he had to establish this, this was his team. Yeah. And um, so I kind of stayed away more or less, except I went to the games first semester. This semester I come over a little bit more because, you know, it's, you know, it, it's Terrell's team. And yeah. they, everybody knows it. The players feel it. And But at the same time, like I said, I'm, I'm close to several of the players, and it's uh, I'm I'm um, I'm rooting for them 100. percent Awesome. We're getting way ahead of ourselves here. I gotta I want to start back at the beginning. I I want to know what it was like to to grow up in in Queens, New York, correct? Queens, New York. And yeah. uh, and Elmhurst. who introduced and who introduced the the sport of of basketball to you? But I want to start about the growing up in in New York. I've never been myself. One of the most famous cities in the world. What, what was it like growing up in Queens? Well, you know, when I grew up in Queens. Queens was more of a suburb. It's, it's not a suburb anymore. Okay. Where the the, the uh, uh, Elmhurst is where I grew up, and 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 it was still you, you had you know some empty lots in the corner where you could play you know where you could play sandlot baseball or whatever. But now everything every inch is taken up, and and uh, Elmhurst now is a, a multicultural area. Uh, where I think there's more languages spoken than in any zip code in the United States. Really? Yeah, in, in Elmhurst. But but when I grew up in Elmhurst, it was like I said, it was more of a suburb. Uh, so, but now you know, I go back. Uh, you know, I went, I went, I go back on a regular basis now. Not so much now that my brother, who was very much involved in basketball as a scout, um, he passed away last year. So it, it, it's. I don't have uh, you know the same connection to New York, but I still have a connection to New York. I have I have I have friends, and um, it's you know it's it's uh, I was down there I was down there in September for a memorial for my brother, and um, uh, you know I I still need to get that fix of going back to the city, get on the subway, you know, and feel feel that again. That's that was part of my heritage. Well, so who introduced you to the sport? Well, I kind of got introduced by myself. Uh, I mean, nobody kind of said, come on, let's play basketball so much. I wasn't a very good athlete. I think the biggest thing, I guess the biggest introduction was when I went to high school, I went to Archbishop Malloy High School in Queens. You had to take the subway every morning to get there. It was a private, you know, Catholic school. And, uh, you know, at that, when I got to Malloy, they had the previous year had won the national catholic championship and they were on a 48 game winning streak so i walked into that gym <laughs> and i was just mesmerized uh by the whole spec spectacle of the players of that, of that caliber they were all being recruited by division one schools uh the coach was a hall of fame coach um ultimately and um I got turned on when I, I saw this, and I said, "Wow, I want to I want to be part of this." And I wasn't ready by any any stretch. I tried out for the freshman team and was probably one of the first players cut. <laughs> and then I, I worked and worked. I got, I got to the I went to the playground and played every day, you know, every single day. And I made the junior varsity team, but I was way deep on the bench. Uh, and then the big hurdle was my junior year I had to make the varsity team, which was one of the best teams in New York City. 
I really had to work uh, extra hard and, 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 and bypass all those players that played ahead of me on the junior varsity team. And I, I, and I was able to do that through, through a lot of hard work. So it taught me persistence. It taught me how to handle adversity. Um, and, um, you know, I just, I just fell in love with the game. My brother and I... Uh, who I said just you know I mentioned just passed away Tom Kachowski. Sorry for your loss. Thank you, uh, Justin. He he uh, he was probably the the most renowned high school basketball scout in in the United States. Oh, he, that was his up till he passed away. That was his career, like that scouting in career. the states. That wow. was his career. He uh, he he uh, knew every coach in the United States. When we started a foundation in his name, which I'm the president of, the Tom Kinchowski Foundation, to raise money to to send uh, kids that uh, didn't didn't have money to you know to to schools. And the first person that called me was. Uh, Coach K in the South, Mike Shashevsky called me and he says, "I'm going to give you ten. I'm going to give you ten grand, right away, ten thousand dollars to start to, to start off the foundation. I want this wow. thing to go." So uh, he's been terrific. Uh, I've been on a regular, you know, speaking with him regularly for the last six months or so. And he's uh, retiring this year. Yes, wow. and he's in a lot of pressure right now in, in the tournament. Yeah. Uh, you know, trying to finish off an unbelievable career on a high note. But anyway, those are the type of people that are involved in my brother's foundation, and um, uh, so that's kept me, you know, involved in the game. But my brother and I, when we were twelve years old, thirteen years old, fourteen years old, we used to go. We used to go to Madison Square Garden uh, every Thursday. They had these triple headers, triple headers, three college games, and uh, now, now, mind you, this was nineteen sixty. So uh, it, it, with with a GO card, which was called a general organization card that every student in New York City could get, for 50 cents you could set up way in the in the nosebleed seats. 50 cents, sit up in the nosebleed seats in Madison Square Garden and watch, you know, college basketball. And wow. we did that. We 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 fell in love with it. And then, to uh, piggyback on that. Okay, so after doing that for two or three years, you know, and idolizing all those players in Madison Square Garden, uh, I told you I made the high school team my junior year, and we played a preliminary game in Madison Square Garden. No. Yep. How right. many people were in the stadium? Well, that's all I'm going to explain okay, to sorry. you. Uh, <laughs> we played the game. It was like at 5 o'clock. And then the New York, the, the, the game uh, the pre that, uh, after us, was the New York Knicks against the Philadelphia Warriors, led by Will Chamberlain? So we played the preliminary game before that, but we were there at five o'clock. We came out for warm-ups, and uh, I don't think there was one person in the stands. <laughs> but I was having 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 been and watched all these great players, Oscar Robertson, or, you know, Will Chamberlain. I watched all these great players in Madison Square Garden. I I was shaking like a leaf. Yeah. I was so uh, to be on that garden court was just it was a dream come true. I got in the game. I don't think I scored that game, but I got I got in the game, ran up and down the court a couple of times, whatever. But uh, then 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 the Knicks took on the Warriors with with Will Chamberlain after that game. Uh, that was an amazing experience. Wow, that's unbelievable. The, the, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but they call that the mecca of basketball. Well, is New it? York City is. The mecca of basketball, you know, it's 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 lost its luster a little bit in the last five to ten, maybe 15, maybe fifteen years. Uh, you know, a lot of the 
top high school players in New York, they used to stay at home and go to St. John's University and New York University, and they, those teams were the top teams in the United States. But a lot of those kids, as is the case everywhere, and including Nova Scotia, our best talent is going down to prep. I mean, Nate Dar the two players that have played in the NBA, Nate Darling and, and Lindell Wigington, both of whom I had the pleasure of coaching with the national team, the junior team, um, in 2017 when we won the world championship. Uh, they both went to, to – they did their high school in, in the United States, and that's what's happened in New York City. I mean, it's just not happening in Nova Scotia. In New York City, the top players are going to these prep schools, mm -hmm. uh, you know, uh, in, in – in, in, could be anywhere. It could be in the Midwest. could be in the South, whatever. But, mm -hmm. uh, but New York still – I mean, still people – even LeBron was saying this last month. He said, when you come to New York City, when you play in the Madison Square Garden, it's a special game. 100%. You know, because it is, well, even if, it's, like I said, it's not maybe as much, like the Knicks haven't had, the New York Knicks haven't had successful teams in a long time. But uh, yeah, New York City's still a mecca. I have two questions for you. One, did your brother ever see LeBron in Akron? And two, have you ever taken a trip to Rutgers Park? Oh, yeah. Well, first of all, my brother and I, I we used to go to Rucker every weekend. What? And oh. we would go there, and, the, and uh, we, we, we watched Chamberlain play there, Drew, Dr. J play there. Um, uh, you know, it was, a, it was a different experience. I mean, uh, the, it, there was no charge to get in or anything like that. Uh, uh, and we, we, we just, you know, get ourselves immersed in the crowd and— um, uh, it was uh, it was amazing. Yeah, we 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 went up there all the time, my my brother and I. Um, and the first part of it was what well, was the first part of that question, Justin? I kind of, uh, I did got your brother it. ever see LeBron James in Akron? Oh, uh, my brother was close. To, he, he he he. I don't know if he ever saw him actually in Akron, but he he uh, saw him at the Five Star Basketball Camp, which uh, he and uh, which Tom was very much involved in, which was the top camp in the United States back in those days. Okay. Uh, so he he uh, he knew LeBron. Yeah. Tom knew every. I mean, Tom knew every. You know, if 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 Tom walked into a gym and it was Kobe Bryant was at the other end of the gym, Kobe would head over to see Tom to be the really? first person to see him. Tom was just well known by you know he helped so many players and so many coaches, and that's why thus you know the foundation has been established in his name because that's what he did he helped people he helped coaches get coaching jobs um uh billy donovan who's the head coach of the chicago bulls right now he won two national championships um uh, at the university of florida um i was with with the national team in brazil this is this is a oh nine ten years ago and um and it's a little town in Brazil. We're, we're with, the, with the junior national. I was with the, the junior national team, okay. uh, trying to qualify for you know the world championship tournament. Anyway, Billy Donovan was coaching the U.S. team, and I had never met Billy Donovan. He's he's he's. Uh, I, so I'm standing outside of our hotel, and I look over, and Billy Donovan is he's he's going for a jog. So he's it's a nice Sunday morning or whatever, sunny day, and he's he's going for a jog, and he sees me. And he comes over, diverts his route, comes over to me, and he says, Mr. Konchowski, which I'd, you know, I'd rather if he called me Steve or whatever. <laughs> but anyway, 
he was honoring my brother by saying, calling him Mr. Kanchowski. He said, I just want to let you know that if it wasn't for your brother, I wouldn't be here right now. Because Tom got him a scholarship when he was a, a kind of an unknown high school player in, uh, out in Long Island, New York. Tom knew about him. Talked to Providence College, the coach of Providence College, who was at the time Rick Patino, got him a scholarship, to, and, and he ended up uh, uh, like an All-American uh, at, at Providence College. But Tom made the connection, gave him the break. Anyway, that's that's our history in New York. You know, you can't talk about it without talking about my brother yeah. because he was front and center. Uh, and still is, in, in, you know, uh, even though he's passed away for over a year, uh, he still is through, you know, through the foundation. Wow. That's incredible. Like, I could sit here and talk for hours about just that, that part of your life. We got, we got to move on because there's a lot of people listening that want to know other aspects. But I think that the beginning and the roots of your basketball foundation, that New was, York, that, that's, a, that's a great place to start. And yep. if you look at your career and where it went and for sure to have that foundation, I think that helped. Sure. Where did the connection come to to the Maritimes? You know, you're living in New York, and then I'm pretty sure you went to Dow to start. Uh, you got a law uh, degree. Well, I got a law degree, but that was after I w did my four years at Acadia. And okay, yeah, and that's how I got up here. But who the coach of, of Acadia, Stu Aberdeen, uh, who was a terrific coach from he was from upstate New York. Um, he was friend friends with my high school coach Jack Curran, and Jack Curran. Uh, so he, so anyway, he, uh, he, Stu Everything came down to New York, and he, he asked Jack Curran to get some players together to, uh, that might be interested in going to, you know, going to college up in Canada. So you know, Jack Curran got I don't know twenty five or whatever players together, uh, not just at Archbishop Malloy, but he got players from Bishop Lachlan and all the different bunch of schools. Okay, uh, mostly probably from the. CHSAA, which was a Catholic high school league, but probably some of the public schools too. I don't remember. So he did a recruiting trip. Yeah, okay. but it was right at Malloy. Yeah. Just, we just, we, we, it was just, he came in and watched us play. And, and, and Coach Aberdeen, uh, uh, you know, re recruited me basically out of that, uh, out of that uh, uh, scrimmage that we had. Okay. He talked to me afterwards, came to visit my parents or whatever. I, uh, you know, after a couple of months thinking about it, I said, no, I don't think I want to go to camp. I mean, I'm in New York City, and this is Wolfville, Nova Scotia. You know, it's another world, right? So I said, no, I don't think I want to come. He says, well, no. He didn't take no for an answer. Came back down to New York and talked my parents into it. And um, I ended up, that's that's where I, that's how I got to Canada, going to Acadia University in 1962. Um, coincidentally, Jack Curran, like my high school coach, he had a baseball career prior to coaching high school base, uh, basketball, which he also coached high school. He was the winningest coach in New York State in high school basketball and in base, high school baseball. He won 1,700-something games in baseball. He's coached for 55 years. So when I coached for 46, it makes his, his 50, 55 makes me look like I left, <laughs> I left early, you know? But anyway... Jack Curran, his connection to Nova Scotia was, as a baseball player, he, he pitched for the Kentville Wildcats when he was in college, which would have been like early 50s. Oh, wow. He, he pitched because American players could come up and play in, the, in, in Canada and get paid and not 
violate any uh, NCAA rules because it was another country, right? Yeah. So a lot of a lot of guys that played in the major leagues came up and played in the old H and D league and and uh, you know Halifax Dartmouth baseball league. Oh, and Jack yeah. Curran played for the Kenfield Wildcats, seven miles away from Wolfville, right? So he wow. knew he knew the area. He knew. So when when uh, when Coach Aberdeen recruited me. Uh, you know, my uh, Jack Current could relate to that, relate to the area, yeah. and tell me a little bit about what it was like and and whatever. So there's a rumor or a myth out there that Babe Ruth owned a house in Wolfville, and he came up here in his summers and just loved it. I couldn't you... verify that one at all. No, but I know. I know he was up here in the summers. I know. I've seen pictures of him uh, wearing a, you know, in his in his dress clothes. Uh, putting on a hitting exhibition. Yeah, I saw that picture as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that would have been amazing, but I can't verify that. You'd no. have to talk to somebody more, <laughs> more, more, uh, you know, knowledgeable. Knows the baseball world. Yeah. Um, I, I, I guess the question is, at what point of your playing career did you realize that you maybe had a little bit of an interest in a coaching career? Uh, at no point in my playing career did I ever think I was going to coach. Um, I just looked at Coach Aberdeen, who I loved, and who was an amazing coach, and I would drive by, you know, I lived off campus my last couple of years, and I'd drive my old Foxhall <laughs> that I bought for $75 or something like that. <laughs> I'd drive that to my apartment off campus, and I'd look up at the gym, and I'd see the light on at 11.30 at night, and I'd say, I don't, I don't want this. I don't want a job like this that, that consumes you, that kind, you know, that... But anyway, I just what happened was after, as you mentioned, I went to law school. I had a little bit of time to think about it because I had to go after law school. Being it was during the Vietnam era, and you know I was draft eligible, uh, not for the NBA draft, but for the, uh, the U.S. Army draft. And, uh, Vietnam was right. Look, I was staring, you know. I stared in my eye at Vietnam, right? And anyway, I had to get my draft status straightened away, which I did. It took me a whole year. I eventually got a medical disqualification for a, a back injury that I had sustained in basketball, which was a legitimate injury. But um, anyway, it took me a year to, to figure that out. So then after that year, I came back. I gravitated just back to say, I'm going to come back to Nova Scotia. That's, my, that's where my friends are. That's probably where I'm going to live. And uh, I was offered the uh, JV coaching job at Acadia, junior varsity. And I said, okay, you know, I'm, I'm not ready to jump into a, a law practice or anything like that right away. This will, you know, this will uh, keep me busy for a while. And uh, and I that's I was the start of it. I just loved, you know, I enjoyed coaching, and I took took off from there. And I got a real break early in my career. When uh, Jack Donahue, who was the coach of the national team, originally from New York City, again goes back to you know that coaching connection, he was very close with my high school coach Jack Curran. Jack Jack Donahue got the coach of the uh, uh, the coaching job for the national team, the Canadian national team, and I met him at a clinic in Montreal, and I told him I introduced myself. He kind of didn't really remember me, but he knew my coach really well. And the following year, he offered me a job as manager of the national team, manager. And I said, look, I'll take that job as long as you get me involved in the coaching. I'll do all my managerial things. I'll do the laundry or whatever you want me to do. No but I want to get involved in the coaching. And he 
he's, he took me on, and we traveled the world. We went to, we went to Cuba. We played in, in front of Fidel Castro. Uh, that, that was an amazing experience. We, we, uh, we were playing Cuba in Havana, <laughs> and there's a big mural of Che Guevara on the wall uh, of, the, of, the st of the stadium. Anyway, the, 10 minutes or so into the game, uh, Fidel walks in with his entourage, and the game stopped. Like the whole gym just stopped. Like literally, the like the stopped. whistle. They 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 stopped. The referees blew the whistle while he was walking in, in respect for him, right? And he they he he as as he proceeded to his seat, which was you know above, right below the mural of Che Guevara, right at center court, uh, above the court. You know, it took him you know a couple of minutes to get there. We had probably had eight or ten people with him walking through, and he was wearing his military garb, as was his. You know that was his uniform in those days, and the game stopped, and everybody clapped. The whole, the whole stadium, the referees, everybody clapped and continued to clap until he sat down in his seat. And when once he sat down, the game, the game resumed. And I was an American, had American passport. I wasn't hadn't taken out my Canadian citizenship at that point. I'm, so I'm an American in Cuba in, in, in 1973, and that was pretty dangerous. I, you know, I had a special visa to be there with the team. So you can be sure I clapped harder than anybody. <laughs> I did not. Anyway, those were the experiences I had. And, and uh, the next year, I'm in training camp, going to training camp, 1974. Uh, I go into training camp national team training camp as the manager and then the assistant coach had to leave he he took on a new a new job at his university and he had to exit for the summer so i was sitting there as the manager and jack donahue just never replaced the assistant coach he just slipped me over to the assistant coaching position and I was there for 16 years. Wow. Went to three Olympic Games. Wow. And it just, it just goes to show you, life will take you in strange ways. You know, the New York City connection got me back with the, got me with the national team. My willingness to take on a managerial job, you know, uh, you know, work my way up, put me in a position to, you know, get lucky and, uh, take off from there and I've been working with the national team program I, I Jack Donahue retired and then 1975 the job opened up 1995 the job opened up and I got uh, I was selected as the head coach of the national team which I a position I held for four years I got to coach Steve Nash I was going to say Steve Nash yeah yes. I got to wow. coach Steve for two or three summers what's he like amazing he was uh, you know people you know I was on a a, a, a similar podcast with, with in, in Newfoundland actually last week okay. with uh, uh, all these young uh, uh, provincial team players, and this one young boy asked me who was the greatest player that you ever coached, and I said, "Well, Steve Nash," and I said, "Not just because of you know his talent and his NBA credentials, two you know two-time NBA MVP." But just what a tremendous teammate that he was, and what a great 
player he was to coach. You know, he, you know, you, you, you tell him to do something or you ask him to do something, yes, coach. He'd be the first player, player at the gym and the last player to leave. Um, he just was, uh, you know, and I, again, I coached him when he was young. He was just in, uh, in, the, in the first couple of years in the NBA. So he was a young player. He hadn't achieved. And the best Steve Nash story I can tell is, and I, and I re related this to this young player because it, it, it's a great message for young players. His first year in the NBA, he's with the Phoenix Suns. He's playing behind Jason Kidd and Kevin Johnson, two NBA All-Stars, all right? And he wasn't getting on in the games. Like I, I look at the NBA box scores every day like I still do. And I, in particular, I had an interest in him because I was his coach. And so I'm, I'm checking. This is in, this is in like February or March. Checking on all the all my players who are playing all most of them around the world. You know, some of them playing in Lebanon and Spain or whatever. So I, so I called Steve and I figured him. 14 games in a row, he failed to get in a game. DNPCD did not play coach's decision. That's what it says opposite your name. Okay. 14 games in a row, he doesn't get in the game. So I figured, all right, I'm going to be called Steve. Steve's going to be, this is going to be tough. It's going to be a tough call. Yeah. I said, Steve, how are you doing? He said, I'm doing great. So eventually I got around to, you know, not right away, but I got around to, you know, how are you dealing with not getting into these games? And he said, Coach, he said, I, I'm dealing with it fine. He said, the practices are my games. He said, I'm playing against every day in practice, two of the best guards in the NBA. And if I can work, if I can get ready for every practice and, 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 and uh, challenge them, you know, uh, as much as I can, work as hard as I can against those two guys, I'm going to get where I want to get to eventually. Now, how can you have a better attitude than that? Absolutely. And that's what, that's what Steve Nash was all about. That's what he was, that's what Steve Nash is all about. He's, you know, he, uh, He's he's not uh, he, he, like he's over himself in sense of he's not the ego part of it doesn't enter into the picture. He understands what the world is all about. He's socially conscious, um, and um, he was just a tremendous uh, guy to coach and a great teammate. It's incredible. Wow. Um, yeah, you're blowing me away right now that you could just call Steve Nash and ask that question. You just said that so casually. That's unbelievable. And to see where he is now as the coach in Brooklyn. Yep. It's great. He's got him. <laughs> I think he's bitten <laughs> off more than he wanted to chew in, yeah. this, in, this, in this situation. But yeah. but if anybody can do it, he can. You know, he's, yeah. he'll help. But he, he'll, he'll be able to relate to players. And you, you saw it in, in uh, uh, his uh, – uh, the way he's handled his whole Kyrie, you know, Harden situation, he seems yeah. to have taken it in stride and, yeah. and, and showed respect for his players because uh, he could easily have thrown them under the bus, yeah. you know, Kyrie for not, you know, you know, not, not getting vaccinated yeah. and, and uh, you know, only be available for, at first, no games and then eventually away games. Yeah. And, uh, but Steve has handled it pretty well. Yeah, managing ego and millionaires must be a whole different side of the job that 
maybe few can handle. That would be a whole nother thing. Exactly. Um, the players that I've talked to that have been coached by you say you do one thing incredibly well is you bring a team together and you recruit very well. Um, one story I found out was about uh, in 1993 when you won your first national championship. Uh, you actually recruited four years earlier for three gentlemen from Central African Republic. Uh, Richard Bella. Oh, I'm going to mess up this second name here. Artistide in Gilly Bay. Artistide in Gilly Bay. Well, you, you did a good job okay. with that one. Thank good you. Job. And uh, and Guy uh, Mamango. Mamango, yeah. Ma yes. Yeah. yeah. Um, three individuals from Africa coming to Nova Scotia in the middle of the winter. It's kind of, I'm not going to say it's totally your responsibility, but it kind of is your responsibility for these players at the beginning. They're how old? 18, 19 when they're coming? They in? were a little bit old. They were, they were basically between 20 and 22. They were a little older. But at the same time, they were young people from a different part of the world. So when yeah. you're, you know, you're, you're putting your trust in, in these three individuals to come from another part of the world, I'm assuming you're having conversations with their families. I'm assuming you're trying to sell Nova Scotia to them. What was it about, I guess, maybe your skill set that allowed you to have the confidence in yourself to say, look, I'm going to bring these three individuals over to another part of the world, and guess what? We're going to win, we're going to have fun, and you're going to grow into men. Where does that come from from you? Where, where, where do you get that confidence from? Well, first of all, you know, I became very familiar. This was 1988 when I recruited them at the Seoul uh, South Korea Olympics. Okay. And uh, by that time, I had been working with you know with the national team since 1973. So my view of the world, fortunately, you know, fortunately through my my, my travel, like I've, I've basketball has taken me to 35 countries around the world. So I I, I think I have a global perspective of, of not only basketball but of the world. You know, because I've had a chance to travel to to different, seen different cultures and see. How how people live and um, so anyway, the, uh, this was really and I, I'm glad you brought this up, Justin, because this is probably one of the more interesting things I've ever done in basketball. Um, so we're at we're at uh, the uh, Olympic organization meeting at the start of the Olympics. You have a you know, I was I was one of the assistants, and the other assistant, Doc Ryan, who a great friend of mine, who's still coaching as the assistant coach at Saint Avax. We we were the assistant coaches with the national team, and Jack Donahue sent us to this organizational meeting after the meeting. And you're just figuring out logistics about bus schedules, okay. and things like that. Anyway, after the meeting, this gentleman comes up, speaking French, and I don't speak French, but Doc does and said, we have three players from, uh, three of our players from Central African Republic, we want to send them to North America. Well, you know, they probably approached the U.S. team too, I don't know, but they, I'm not sure what kind of interest they had, but three players that we'd like to send to North America or Canada uh, to get their education. Education was very important for, you know, for them. Anyway, uh, so I asked through, through Doc interpreting, you know, uh, what positions did they play? And he said, well, they're <coughs> six, seven, six, eight, and six, nine. And I said, well, you're talking <laughs> to the right people here. <laughs> anyway, we had, we, we went to see them play. And one of them uh, was just phenomenal, Richard Bell. You could see the phenomenal, six foot nine, 200 and 
155 pounds of sheer muscle. Pretty raw, but this guy was, there's nothing, there was nothing like him in Canada at that time, really? uh, anywhere. And, um, and then Guy Mabongo was more of a, he was about six, seven, but a great body, but really young, raw, raw talent. Uh, and then Aristide, Aristide wasn't with the team. He was injured, so he didn't make the trip. But okay. they wanted to send all three. Anyway, we met. So, so we went and watched him play, and I, you know, our eyes just, you know, we just flipped out when we saw Bella, how good this guy was. We, you know, we said we'll take anybody else with him, <laughs> as long as we can get, you know, to get a player of his caliber, caliber or athletic size, you know. Uh, it was amazing. Anyway, so we met with their minister of sport. We met with all their, uh, you know, all the people from the Central African contingent and whatever, and we worked this out. And they, 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 uh, we said, look, we don't have a full scholarship, so you know we can offer them partial scholarship. But so they worked out something where they would get a bursary. Uh, you know, they would pay the, the, the you know, a partial bursary from their government, from their uh, basketball association. So, right? so, sorry, who pays who? They pay... They would pay to to, to them, and they'd they pay the university. Yeah, okay, sorry. For their, yeah, yeah, okay. Room, for their tuition, room yeah, and board, yeah. whatever the difference was between what we were allowed to give to, to them. Uh, so we worked all that out. But that still... So that was in, that was in September. And... Um, they got here in January, and they couldn't speak one word of English. They had they were they, they had all they were all good students, but they couldn't speak English, and they and they they left Central Africa. It was plus it was like thirty eight Celsius, and they got to Nova Scotia, and it was like minus sixteen. Yeah, I was gonna say January. <laughs> it was right in the middle of January, January twenty third. Never, never forget the day. Who January picked them up at the airport? Picked them up at the airport. You did. Yeah, with Doc, good Doc could speak French, so he could speak with okay, them. Yeah. Took them to their residence, and I had prepared our team for this. I said, "Look, this is, we're, you know, we're, we're going to. They weren't eligible to play that year; they were going to play the following year. But we brought them over to learn English, and actually, we enrolled them at Dr. John Hugh Gillis High School, even though they already had their high school, you know, uh, education and were accepted at Saint Evex. But they went there to as to learn English as a second language, right? So these these six nine yeah, guys <laughs> walking around his high school, uh, but anyway, that's where they learned their English. So you know, so they were prepared for the following September. Yeah, they were going to have like nine months of English training. Yeah, you know, to, to learn the language. Um, anyway, the two of them. Funny. This is a funny story. So. We have. I said, look, we have practice. Uh, you guys want to come over to practice? So, uh, uh, Richard, the best one of them, right? He had a, you know, a headache or whatever, and he said, no, I'm gonna rest. So he he rested. The other two came over to practice, and the other two were pretty raw. So I had prepared our team. Look, we got three players from Africa coming over. Yeah. I didn't hype them up too much. I just said, take this as a cultural experience. This is an opportunity to learn about people and vice versa from a different part of the world and to bring them in our locker room and embrace them. So I had prepared them for that. So anyway, Guy and Aristide come in and they practice with us. Now, first of all, they had been traveling for three days. Second of all, they, 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 they didn't, they were like, 
didn't know, they didn't know the language or anything. And third of all, they weren't really very good players at that time. Yeah. Uh, it was just basically raw material, right? So my players are looking at me like, you brought these guys over from Africa? They, 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 you know what I mean? <laughs> so they, and they didn't, they didn't show up that well at practice that night. Anyway, the next day, Bella comes into the gym. <laughs> and the first time he did a drill, he just hammered dunked over it turns out to be Leo McPherson, who's now our athletic director, <laughs> who was playing for me at the time. And he just hammered dunked. We were doing a, 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 a you know, big man post drill, and he just he dunked the ball so hard the ball hit the ground and went up over the over the over the <laughs> over the backboard, and the whole gym just turned around, and their eyes were like this, and they couldn't believe that the the sheer athleticism of this guy. Anyway, the story goes forward to say that. They basically, my family took them in. You know, they became part of my family. They didn't live in my house, but they were visitors on a regular yeah. basis. Yeah. My, my children kind of grew up with them. They learned about, my children learned about their culture. You know, my wife would try to, you know, cook some of their, their meals that they yeah. were familiar with. She'd, she'd say, what do you guys usually have? You know, what's your yeah. diet look like at home? And she'd try to have them over and replicate some of that just to make them feel at home a bit, and they never—they didn't go home in the summers because they didn't have the money to do it. So they stayed all summer, and I was basically their surrogate father. And uh, uh, I ended up with Richard with Bella. I ended up being the best man at his wedding. No way. So wow. Uh, and the, the story ends, uh, so to speak, it, with. They all graduated with a degree. They, when, they, when they started out, because of the language barrier, we put them into uh, basically French courses and math courses. Okay. Right. So French they knew, yeah. and math is numbers, right? Yeah. yeah. So th that 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 was their first year, but they all got degrees in economics. They all graduated, and we won a national championship with them in nineteen in the culmination. Nineteen ninety three. Nineteen ninety three. You got lifted up off the court that year. Uh, it was amazing. It was the uh, the the fans made a big X on the floor. Yeah, yeah. The, the fans made a huge X, a human X on the floor, um, and uh, people people remember that. You know, I don't know. Uh, if, if, uh, I'm not a, a great hockey fan, but I don't know Elliot Friedman. Yeah. Who. Um, well, Elliot was covering that. I knew Elliot quite well in his younger years. We covered basketball back in those years. So Elliot, when I retired last year, had a little note. He does something on uh, social media where he, 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 he like 31. Uh, 30, he has a podcast called 31 Thoughts, 32 Thoughts. Yeah. Okay, so I was yeah. number 32. A friend of mine sent me this. A friend of mine from Finland, actually, a coach in Finland, sent me this. He's a hockey fan. And I was number 32 when I retired. And what he talked about was the human X. On the, he, he he covered it as, as a young uh, okay, yeah, yeah. cub reporter, I guess. And um, he, he what he talked about in addition to you know my his relationship with me was uh, that human X. He, it stuck with him all these years. You know, even though he's yeah. he's, he's he's totally into hockey. In the now. middle of the metro center, like at the center court, the like a human X. Exactly. <laughs> Exactly. That's amazing. So anyway, yeah, that was the story. That was the story of the, of those uh, three. That's great. Uh, three players. Yeah, it was amazing. It was, uh, it was, you know, one of the things that really warms my heart when I think about, you know, the things in my coaching career and the relationships I've had. Amazing. Um, and to go back, we we've talked to a couple of your players, 
and they've answered this question, but I don't think they've answered it very well. And I think hopefully you can answer it. But we've all had coaches, all three of us in this room have had coaches that you really want to play for and coaches that you're like, yeah, I'm not working my butt off for this guy. But from players that have been coached by you, you're the definition of someone that you're willing to go out on the floor and do anything to win. You get players to respond to your coaching style. What is it about your coaching style that allows players to do anything to win as long as it's by your game plan? What do you think it is? Well, I think it's building relationships. And that's what I learned from Jack Donahue, um, who was, you know, one of my mentors, probably my number one mentor, uh, not just about basketball, but about life. And <clears throat> he built relationships. That was his thing. And I think by building relationships, earning trust, and, and it's, a, you know, trust, respect, is both of those, they're two-way streets. And you, you, you have to look at it like that way as a coach. You just can't say, okay, I'm the coach. You got to respect me. You have to earn the respect of the players. And the way you earn the respect of the players is to treat them right, be honest with them, but be there for them, not just as basketball players, but as people, help them through their uh, journeys through university, uh, you know, from academics to social to the social part of it that you know having to deal with um you know issues that come forward off the court not just on the court and i think if you build that trust then you get to a point where in a, uh, on on the court they're going to they're going to go that extra mile and they're going to want to win for themselves for the team but you know um i'm part of it I'm, as a coach how many years did it take you to learn that rule like, okay, these players are responding to what I'm saying by the trust that they have in me and the relationship that we have. Or did it just come naturally? Um, I think uh, I think it's, it's, it's uh, uh, the answer to that is kind of multifaceted. I think I'm going to go back and, and say, you know, my parents are, you know, uh, had a lot to do with the way I grew up and how I approached life. Um, I think... Um, my experience at, at Archbishop Malloy, where I had to work so hard, at, you know, to get even on the team. And then in my senior year, I sat on a bench, you know, where I, in a situation where I expected to play. I did play my first several games. And then Jack Curran, the, you know, who, like I said, a Hall of Fame coach, he decided to go with the younger players, and I had to sit on. I sat on the bench, and I think going through that, you know, the, the the first of all, the challenge of having to go from like scratch to make one of the best high school teams in the country, and then not getting to play and having to deal with being on the bench gave me an empathy for my pl for players that not just, you know, not just. Uh, well, you're good enough. Okay, fine. If you're not good enough, you know, we're just not going to play you. I, yeah. I, I always felt for, because I, and I told my teams, listen, I said I've sat on a bench more than any of you guys, so I know what it's like, you know. But I'm, I'm that's still, I'm not going to put you in the game if you don't haven't earned it. But at the same time, I think that's the part. That's what I think is what part and parcel of my coaching philosophy is: is, is to build relationships and earn the trust of my players. And I think that uh, that can get you a lot through a lot of tough situations. And, and that also 
creates those relate those relationships and that, that will last past the four or five years that they play in university and to make friendships with that are going to last you know with uh players like like Jonathan Bell who I know you've had here great guy this you know uh, and that, you know basically that was the connection why I'm here I guess through John but um you know to have friends for life if you treat people the right way and care about them more than just basketball players is it an underlying goal of yours to make sure that these men go on to be you know good husbands good business owners good just people in life is that kind of an underlying goal as well for you rather than just great basketball definitely definitely if you're an educator that has to be you're just not there to win basketball games yeah um i I think you can do both but uh, you know you simultaneously win basketball games and still treat people the right way yeah um, and 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 build the foundations for you know, it's a it's an interesting age you know group at eighteen to twenty three, because then they're they're uh, at that age they're not children anymore, uh, they're becoming adults, but they're trying to navigate the world like where am I going and where do I fit where do I fit in this world? Mm-hmm. Some of them know a little bit more about where they're going than others. Most like like myself when I was that age had no idea as you know I went, went to law school and became a basketball coach so but uh, um, they they don't know they don't really if, if you can help them along that pathway then you've like I said you've 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 done something uh, more than just you know teaching jump shots and you've done you know you've done something that's gonna benefit them uh, for the rest of their lives and be also be satisfying for yourself to see. You know what they what what they do with their lives going forward. Amazing. So at this portion of your life, what, what do you, do you still have any goals, or is it just, you know, do you want to maintain a relationship with the game of basketball? I know you're still. You said the Growlers. What are they called? Sorry, the new team you're with. Newfoundland Growlers. Newfoundland Growlers. Yeah, um, that's one of the the, the, uh, the uh, Canadian Elite Basketball League. Yeah. Uh, started up three years ago. This is the fourth year. They have franchises from, uh, from Vancouver right through uh, to now Newfoundland, so nice. coast to coast, yeah. 10 franchises. They operate in the summertime, and it's a professional league. The players get paid uh, between 400 and $1,500 a game. It's a 20-game schedule. And uh, five players who played in the league last year got called up to the NBA. No. So, wow. uh, including Lindell Wigington, who's still with you know from Dartmouth, who's still with the Bucks yeah. right now. Um, so it, the caliber of the league is good. It's not, you know, it's not college basketball. It's a higher level. It's it's a professional basketball. Mm-hmm. And um, so anyway, I got they asked, me, you know, I'm since I retired, I I always said like I'm retiring from Saint X, but I'm not retiring from basketball. You know, I'm. It's in my blood. It's it's always going to be in my blood. And this was a good situation, and it is a good situation, because I don't have to be, you know, uh, on the bench. I don't have to be – I'm, I'm an advisor. They, my title is Senior Advisor for Basketball Operations. Basically, the team is owned by the Newfoundland Growlers Hockey yeah. uh, Organization. So uh, they they basically brought me in to be a buffer, you know, work with the coaches, but also work with the organization to from bas- basketball pers- uh, perspective in terms of 
advising. Okay. You know, what you know what how what we should do in this situation? What should we do here? And I'm, right now, I'm heavily in with the coaches. We hired the coaches, which is the first thing we did, and then um, now I'm dealing with you know the coaches and I have meetings on a, every, probably every day or two. Yeah. We're putting a lineup. We're putting a roster together. We've signed three players so far, okay. including Terry Thomas, originally from East Preston, uh, who played at St. Bex for a few years for me. And, um, yeah, so that's keeping me busy. Uh, my brother's foundation is keeping me busy. And uh, uh, we started up a Basketball Coaches of Canada coaching association, which is keeping me involved in the game. So it's, I'm not behind the bench anymore. Uh, I'll leave that to the younger guys. Yeah. Uh, but I think what I, what I can do is I can um, help develop the game and help uh, develop coaches. Like coaching development is really important for me. Like our head coach with the, growl, with the growlers is uh, Patrick Ewing Jr. Now, Patrick Ewing Sr., of course, being the NBA uh, All-Star and uh, Hall of Famer, well, his son, Patrick Ewing Jr., is our head coach. So I work with him almost on a wow. daily basis. And he's got a lot of experience around the game, played in the NBA, played overseas, you know, works with his dad at Georgetown, but never been a head coach. Yeah. So, you know, I'm, I have an opportunity to mentor him, yeah. um, you know, as, as we go forward. And, and that's really what, I, uh, what I, I see myself doing is giving back to the game by you know uh, developing coaches and, and in this case with the growlers helping you know uh, helping them get off the ground build a t build a team from scratch was there any fight back at all from your family like you know you worked your whole life and you have this one year of retiring was there any like ah oh, take a take a take a year take a any like that or they they know you love it so they say go no, for it no they know i love it they all want me to do it do they okay oh, good yeah. they, it's actually it's actually killing them that my like I have my children are all in their you know mid to late thirties. Okay. But and have families of their own, or two of them do. Anyway, um, but they they they, they, they it, for them it's hard for them to watch Sandbox play without me being behind the bench. Are they up here with you now? Uh, no. no, they would have been had the playoffs been one of the, one of them was coming. My daughter Maria, who lives in Toronto, uh, would have come had the playoffs been she had tickets for the play, plane tickets for the playoffs when they were originally scheduled okay. but now they got pushed back because of covid right yeah. so she's not here but uh i i i actually you know i'm all totally fine with uh i i don't have any like i'm not sitting there wishing i was on the bench i'm i'm happy with uh you know watching the team play Seeing how they developed, Terrell Vernon, like I said, the new, our new coaches, he and I are close, are close uh, friends. Um, I'm happy to see what he's doing with the team, and I don't have any, uh, you know, regrets or, or you know, saying I, I I should be there. I mean, I the only thing I say is, it was a disappointment not to be able to retire in the proper way. My whole retirement plan was based upon. Saint of X hosting the na the uh, the national championship tournament at Scotiabank Place uh, last March, and that's how I that's how I built my retirement plan. I uh, you know uh, into into finishing up in 
I still call it the Metro Center, all right? Yeah, me too. And uh, finishing up in the Metro Center where we won three national championships where I had my greatest success finishing up on the bench in the Metro Center. And uh, that didn't happen. But, you know, COVID prevented a lot worse things, you know, around the world than that. So keeping that perspective, missing a basketball tournament is not the end of the world. That was, but still, it's, it's, it's a disappointment. But other than that, I'm fine with, uh, I'm, I'm happy with Terrell, what he's doing. I'm fine with what I'm doing with basketball right now. It's keeping me interested and, and involved. And uh, yeah, I'm yeah. just going to keep doing it as long as, uh, you know, I'm healthy and, 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 uh, and the opportunities present themselves. Could you potentially pull a Tom Brady? come back no that's it's, not gonna happen no, it's no over. i'm done behind the bench you're done no i'm done behind the bench and i'm i'm enjoying the the advisory you know the kind of the mentorship advisory uh position that's it's it's right it's that, that's what's the right fit for me right now awesome i'm gonna uh, i'm gonna let it be here i want you to give just a little bit of advice to someone that's looking to carve out uh, a career not essentially excuse me not essentially in basketball it could be business it could be anything a little bit of career advice for that you know mid 20 year old looking to to take charge of the world well i would say first of all follow your heart and uh as i did when i switched gears from you know, law to basketball, follow your heart, um, and uh, this is a bit of a cliche, but, you know, make every day your masterpiece, and what I mean by that is take every day and, and say, okay, uh, I'm going to, whatever you're doing, make the best of it. You know, if it's going to the beach, then make the seeing your friends, then you know, engaging your engage with your friends and build that build those relationships. If it's if it's if it's you know you have you have a task of work to do, do it to the best of your ability. Take every day and make some good positive things, uh, you know, happen out of that day. And those days add up, and you're eventually going to get where you want to get to. Okay. Coach K, I want to thank you very much for coming on this show. I really do appreciate your time, especially now with the tournament going on. So I'm sure a lot of people want your time. So to give it to this podcast, that you know, means the world yeah. to me. Thank you. Well, I appreciate you asked you asked some great questions and brings you know some of these things that I reminisced that you, we had a chance to reminisce about today. You know, brought back some great memories. So thank you for that. Yeah, no worries. I can't wait to one day get to New York and maybe I'll go to Rutgers Park. I'm going to think of you. So we'll okay. make it happen. Go, go, go do it. <laughs> awesome. All right, everyone listening, thank you very much uh, for tuning in. It's Friday. The weekend is here. Have fun. Head on down to Scotiabank Center, a.k.a. the Metro Center. Watch some basketball. That's all I got to say. We're out. Peace. Thank you.
Slash, sit up, man.